Welcome to this special edition of the MHI Cast. We're calling a WorkCast. This episode is brought to you by MHI's Warehousing Education and Research Council, or WORK, and focuses on logistics management and its role in the supply chain. At MHI Cast, we talk to the industry's best minds to uncover supply chain stories that are making a difference in our industry. The labor shortage in the supply chain, especially the warehouse, has been a topic of discussion for the past several years and with increased demands brought on by COVID. It's clear that the issues of sourcing and retaining talent are far from over. And so in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Christoph Bretgeld of Amsterdam-based business SkillUp about a skills-based approach to hiring and how it could possibly help you bridge this gap. Christoph, thanks for being with us. Why don't we start with an introduction uh, to our audience and, and please tell us a bit more about SkillUp. Thank you so much and also thank you for, for having me here. Um, it's a really interesting subject. I'm um, Christoph, I'm one of the co-founders and director of strategy at SkillUp. SkillUp is an impact business from Amsterdam and we build software to help people discover their skills and understand the relevance of their skills. We design for people in the very first place but allow them to share the data with organizations to help them gain employment and training pathways uh, for their future careers. Skill discovery sounds like our topic is right up your alley today, so let's dive right in. Uh, Christoph, how would you define a skill? That is a very good question. It brings us right to the core of uh, the complexity. Uh, you need to be very clear on, on how you define a skill. Uh, if you go by the dictionary, it's uh, a learned power, you could say. You could also more simply say it's the ability to do something well. Uh, that already indicates two very important elements uh, a skill has. And one is there's a relation to a, a task. Um, and the other thing, it has to do with learning and repetition. Um, so it's really, really uh, an ability to do something uh, well. Makes perfect sense. Doing something well will help someone perform well. Um, but how are skills defined? In other words, who defines them? That, again, is a very, very perfect question. It's, um, it's, it's a key question also. So technically speaking, anyone can define um, what a skill means personally or to an organization. However, the complexity lies really in communicating this definition with and between various people and stakeholders. If you think of a taxonomy like a, a language um, at the best, if you want to converse with someone, it needs to be clear that a certain meaning relates to a certain word. If you want to have an expert talk with a set of stakeholders that agree on a certain meaning about attributed uh, elements, so to speak, that works perfectly fine, but it always excludes other people. The same applies for skills. So a key question, therefore, is who's supposed to understand the meaning of those items. It's very important to differentiate between uh, the use of skills in a closed ecosystem versus an open ecosystem, for example, the complete labor market or just one company. If you rely on a certain skill or set of skills within that one company and you always call it uh, the same way internally and everybody understands what you mean, that's totally fine. However, if you want to tell a prospective hire what the skills are they should bring, it needs to be understandable to somebody who's an outsider at that point in time, so to speak. So um, the more integrated uh, skilling or upskilling concepts are, 
in a broader ecosystem. So more important it is to really define a, a shared language if you want. So uh, think of explaining to an external education provider which courses they should develop for your company to train your employees based on your skills gap analysis. It's very important that the two then speak the same language. We see uh, broadly that um, there's uh, um, a very growing space of uh, public work in, in, in that regard. So there's public skills taxonomies really to facilitate and ultimately also to increase the uh, mobility of the labor market. So um, almost all big governments are currently working on skills taxonomies, which thinking about the complexity and problems uh, makes, makes lots of sense also. Communication seems to be key here and uh, making sure that everyone's speaking the same language. Is there anything else an employer can do to ensure that they're using terminology and explaining skills effectively for uh, external stakeholders, uh, either the people applying for the jobs or people who, who would be training for those jobs? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tricky bit because it, it requires, say, the identification of the company with those skills and it requires a, a broader acceptability and understanding, so to speak. Um, we have very good experience working with uh, public taxonomies, um, which, which are, if you want, so uh, a universal language, but surely you can uh, think of other ways. Um, as with, with everything in life, ultimately it comes to, um, to explaining people what um, you ask from them. So you, to explain them that uh, maybe they will have a different or could have a different opinion about how something is called and explain the benefit of agreeing on one set of names for certain things, I think is really um, a key thing when working with your internal workforce, but also with uh, prospective hires, because they are the ones which ultimately um, also uh, put in sensitive data, so to speak, and interact with, with, with you on the level of, of this information. Okay, so now that we know a bit about how skills are defined, why do you think it's important to look at skills instead of metrics when hiring? I really believe that skills are the most granular, if you want, so carrier of uh, information. Um, they can be isolated from uh, context and they can be expressed in relation to certain tasks, which is very different from in relation to experiences. And that makes them in a very unique way, I want to say, uh, bias-free. So it's an, an, a, a unit uh, of, of information, if you want so, which is very um, specific. And there's so many skills, um, if you're looking at the big taxonomies, that's a combination of unique skills that really carries a, a, yeah, almost like a, a DNA, so to speak, a unique profile of, of someone in terms of what they're capable of doing and uh, not so much. Most employers will, will also look at past occupations as an indicator of whether or not someone will be, you know, a good fit for a job. Are there any problems that can arise from that approach, in your opinion? So uh, an occupation is also a carrier of information, but contrary to skills, it's not uh, self-explanatory and concrete in most cases. Think of an occupation like a key account manager. We see a very flexible use of that occupation title. It could be someone uh, who worked for a small company, a big company, a specialized uh, company in a certain industry or region, or somebody who had a very special task um, in that role or very holistic interpretation of what a key account manager does. So if uh, someone said he worked as a key account manager, and that is the only information I had, I had no concrete idea yet. 
Obviously, you could sit down and ask a person in detail what they have done and what they have not done. That assumes that the company asks the right questions and the employee has all the right answers to them. However, in practice, we see a strong reliance on what we call signaling effects. So if you know the company, uh, someone worked there from your network or the company has such a good reputation that everybody knows this company, you're very likely to make assumptions about um, the skill set of that candidate and the quality of that skill set. So you think somebody must be very capable because he worked for that prestigious company. You have a problem, however, if, or the candidate much more has a problem, if you as the potential employer have no idea about uh, that past employer or um, that could be due to the region or, or the, the, the size of that company and therefore disqualify a candidate. This is very important and ultimately, ultimately it's really a, a bias question as in what is the entity to, to look at. Another thing which, which is easily forgotten and equally important is that past occupations are not the only source of skills. So you could have been raising a family, coaching a sports team or engaging in community activities or even working informally. So people actually learn something during those activities. And at least I believe this learning can be expressed on the level of skills the best. If you ever were taking care of your parents, for example, you pick up a significant number of skills, not only in the health domain, but generally in dealing with public authorities and so on and so forth. It would be a shame to not express this, so to speak. Um, another really e example, and, and that's something I, I, I wasn't aware of um, until very recently, is that there has been an approach in the United States uh, called uh, resume therapy for veterans who return from uh, war. So think of, of someone who has been working for the army, has been very skilled in very different uh, ways and cannot find an equivalent to their past uh, activities, so to speak, in the labor market. And a good approach really to help people to understand how their skills are valuable is really um, in that occasion looking at skills much more than than past titles, which are not always transferable, the level uh, skills are transferable in the labor market. You know, many people begin gaining their skills and experience in training programs through college or university. Is it possible for education to be translated into a set of skills? Yeah, it, it can. And it's really one of the most transformative things we have, have seen in the last years is that you cannot only show people deficits, but you can also provide a solution which uh, comes through, for example, the, the effort to translate education into um, certain taxonomies. You see here that um, that was a point we, we discussed earlier, that agreeing on a certain skills language um, is of such a high value because if the education um, speaks, so to speak, the same language and can be expressed on the same level of skills as the skills need and the skills supply through the potential hire, um, there's a really nice relationship and uh, a way, so to speak, to really make education tailored, if you want so, to the individual pathway somebody wants to pursue. Okay, so now let's dig into things from the potential employee's perspective a little bit more. For example, uh, if I were looking for a job, how would I know what skills I have? This is a, a tr tricky one. So I, I would say in, in theory... Uh, you could do um, everything uh, manually. So um, 
you could sit down and uh, go through lists of uh, hundreds and thousands of skills, so to speak, and figure out if you have any of those skills or not, that you would have to do the math and calculating all of the things together. You would have to do the analysis for thousands of occupations in the labor market and then come to the conclusion where you have a good fit. So all to say, it, it is possible, but um, it's absolutely not uh, practicable, so to speak, to to really discover your skills without the help of technology. Um, I would even say that it's it's been only really through recent developments in technology that it's feasible to capture a, a detailed skill profile of, of someone, especially the use of artificial intelligence makes lots of sense here in, in this domain. So instead of asking someone all possible skill questions through the use of AI, we can, for example, learn which skill questions make sense to ask on the very individual level. So this is really game changer. So a skill profiling experience becomes there with as individual as the skill profile of that person is, for example. We, we do lots of user research and, and uh, user interviews, as, as you can imagine. And uh, the most common answer, in fact, we get from people is that they say, I don't have any skills. Um, this is very unfortunate and obviously it's not true. So um, in other cases, people lack the means to describe skills. So somebody might say, I'm good at management, but no one knows what that means. It's very broad. With these type of broad statements, we often see a clear gender typical behavior also, where women tend to think they are not good for, for something or not good at something. Men are not always, but often tend to overestimate uh, their, their capabilities. Generally speaking, uh, the problem here is that if you ask people a very open question, like what are you good at, you provoke a very broad answer. And um, it's hard for people to define um, the set of, or the taxonomy, so to speak, of, of skills themselves when answering this question. So um, the more concrete you ask someone about a very specific skill, the more accurate and the more detailed the answer will become. Um, if you consider that there are not only a few, but thousands and thousands of, of skills, technology certainly, uh, again, helps people to express which, which skills they have on the very granular level. Yeah, this sounds like a great tool for employees to know, you know, their their own value and what they can bring to the workplace. But how do job seekers benefit from a skill-based hiring mechanism? I think there's a couple of ways in which they benefit. And one I would probably best describe as a, a, a help to decode uh, <laughs> requirements. So you can decode uh, job offers. You understand uh, not only that there is a job and who the company is, but you also see on the level of skills what is being asked from you. At the same time, you can also, if you want so, decode yourself and express yourself on the level of skills. Um, the side effect is that you also learn about requirements of certain jobs in a different way. There has been really historically, not in all industries, but in some, lots of uh, blind guessing, somebody some, some job title sounds interesting or some company seems to have a good reputation. So maybe going for this, but the level of uncertainty has been proven as very high in some instances. So this really is a chance to be much more concrete and much more detailed when it comes to understanding if you have a good fit to um, a certain uh, job position, for example, or, or not. And lastly, it uh, really takes out uh, bias. So if you see that you have a good skill set for a certain job, and it doesn't really matter where these skills come from, you should really find all of the 
reasons to apply for that job and not feel intimidated by by a lack of, say, formal past experience or whatever it is. The supply chain industry, like many others, uh, has been experiencing a labor shortage. So let's discuss things from an employer standpoint. I know it may seem obvious given what we're talking about so far, but can can job profiles be expressed in skills? Yeah, very much so. And we see this uh, luckily uh, also being a, a, a new but powerful trend that more and more jobs um, are um, expressed in a general way uh, <laughs> and uh, even so on the level of skills. So there has been a time when there's been a strong imbalance um, in how job vacancies and profits have been expressed to the outside world. Sometimes the description on, on uh, job ads has been very poor. Um, these days we see a clear increase in um, context that is being provided and text to explain. But we also see um, that more and more employers really start expressing the job vacancies and profiles on the level of skills, which, which I think is a, is a very important development in our space. So what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of skills-based hiring? I think it came through that I'm a, I'm a big fan of <laughs> skill-based assessment. I mean, that's really what I, what I believe is the future. I really believe this takes out lots of discrimination in the labor market. I really believe this uh, provides unique opportunities to bring uh, an ecosystem together on, on a very efficient way, uh, including the employers, the education, uh, the people, most importantly, themselves in the center. Um, and this is a, a clear driver for, for the development in, in recruiting, hiring, but also retention. Um, the limitations, I think, are very much in, um, in uh, skills being just one type of thing which you can uh, measure. And it shouldn't be the only thing, for example, for hiring decision. So um, a skill does not tell you if someone shows up on time in the morning. It doesn't replace, it's not a magic formula to compensate other things that need to be checked when, for example, making a hiring decision. But it's a very powerful uh, supplement for, for decision making. The labor shortage isn't simply hiring. It can be retention of the current workforce. Uh, so in, in, in your opinion, can this skill-based approach be used to retain existing employees? Absolutely. Um, I, I think um, um, when we look at the, the question of retention, one of the things we hear regularly is that people feel uh, stuck somewhere. They are not getting any further and move to have a higher income in earnings, so the cash component, but also a higher income in learnings. And uh, classically, people refer to this as growing. When you hear somebody say, I, I don't grow here anymore, I, I don't grow any further. So it's really, I, I think, best described in, in, in what we hear from, from people, the idea of being, being stuck somewhere. If you show people which skills they gained working for you, which skills they can gain, uh, be it on the job or through education that you offer or upskilling pathways that, that you provide to your employees, or even the option to grow within your organization by taking a new role in the future or climbing up the ladder, that can be a very clear driver um, to, to retain people. What also is very important um, is that it's very useful to show people how the skills they have acquired or do acquire currently are transversal within the company, but also beyond. So if you have the feeling that what you're doing here is useful, maybe also for other industries or companies, and you're actually learning something which has a high utility, 
that really motivates people and empowers people also to to feel that they are taking something away also rather than just uh, being being used um, for for a certain limited and isolated task so to speak which in many cases is not true so i really believe this transversal nature of skills the better you understand that for internal but also broader labor market mobility is a very important measure so to speak to to show to people in order to assess their their um, their development and also their status quo situation that makes sense consistent learning and offering the chance for growth you know those are two things we know employers can do to help retain their workforce how about specific things a company should consider when starting to uh, assess skills for hiring or retention so the very first thing, and I'm very aware that I repeat myself, is be clear on the skills language you, you need. So if you define the taxonomy, um, that's the very first uh, step. And and to answer that question, you should be very clear on whom are you speaking to, who are the stakeholders, who should understand the skills, and whom, um, so to speak, do you consider a part of your ecosystem if, if you want so the other question really is what is the um, final outcome you you aim for and how do you want to explain to users uh, why you offer or use uh, skill profiling is it uh, to help people or is it to test them the most important thing when working with sensitive data really is being uh, clear and transparent so that people understand um, why they and what they provide the data for so to speak Cannot emphasize that any further. Making sure everyone is speaking the same language is absolutely very important. Okay, before we draw to a close, just one last question for you, Christopher. Are are there any specific industries that you think would benefit from assessing skills? I think really all industries profit from assessing skills. The recipe might be a little bit different for, for each industry, but I cannot see a case where that would not be a profit in, in some way. Generally, the case seems to be very strong for industries that have a hard time to recruit people at scale. So when there is a mismatch between uh, the supply and the demand side, when there's a problem really to reach uh, people and convince them, or when there's a high uncertainty on the side of the people if they're a good match to a certain role or not, um, the use of skill profiling can really be transformative. And uh, people, as much as companies can, can find a, a good fit. Um, also, any really task-based activities, um, anything that 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 helps you to measure, so to speak, uh, progress and be very precise on upskilling uh, offerings. I think is a, is a clear is a clear case for or um, where skill profiling can add um, significant value, so to speak. Well, that takes us to the close. Thank you for listening to this episode of MHI Cast featuring Christoph Brettgeld. And Christoph, thank you so, so, so much for sharing your insights and wisdom. We hope that you and at home, in your car, in your office, that you've gained some insights into what skills-based hiring is and how you can start using that today to close the labor gap. And remember, you can also find insights on work.org. That's W-E-R-C dot org. Or you can download the MHI Annual Industry Report to see how you can keep your supply chain on the cutting edge. Here at MHI, we never stop exploring new opportunities to help you take your manufacturing and supply chain operations to that next level of success. So thank you for making us a part of your professional development journey.